So for the past four weeks, a small group has been gathering on Wednesday afternoons to discuss Adam Hamilton's book, The Meaning of Making Sense of the Bible. It's been a great study, but it made me realize that even though we read from it every week, we never really talk about the Bible itself in church. And so I want to remedy that today. Um, for the next, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this book that plays such a huge part in the Christian faith. Um, I'm going to use a lot of Hamilton's material in my messages, but I also have a few things that I want to say myself. So let's begin by taking a walk through this book, actually by taking a walk through the Old Testament today. And if you, if you don't already have a Bible in your hand, I invite you to reach into a nearby shelf and get one. And if there's not one close to you, raise your hand, and I bet the ushers can find another one. We do have one or two of them around. After all, it's a book's bestseller. So it's a good bestseller. We've got lots of Bibles. So you may have noticed that um, the reading, the scripture reading that Donna just did was labeled in the bulletin as the Hebrew Bible reading. And I did that because this is actually a more accurate um, title for this part of scripture. What we call the Old Testament is simply the Bible or the Tanakh for Jewish folks. And it was originally written in Hebrew. It's not old for them. It's what Hamilton rightly calls their defining stories. So I'm going to invite you to open your book to the first, very first part of it, which is called Genesis, which aptly means beginning. And put one finger in Genesis 1, that first chapter, and then find Genesis 11 and put another finger there. We're going to be doing this all the way through, so I'll invite you to do that. So these 11 chapters, these 11 chapters, um, Hamilton notes are, the stories in them are primeval. That is, they were written before, or they date to before recorded history, and archetypal. That is, they tell us about the people who are in them, but the real point is to tell us about ourselves. These chapters include the familiar stories of creation and Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and Noah and the flood, along with a lot of begats. (laughs) From Genesis 12 on, the Old Testament becomes the story of the people of Israel and their unique relationship with God. Hamilton writes, it is the story of God's call for them to be his people and the story of the covenant he makes with them but it also recounts how God's people struggled and often failed to fulfill that covenant. This story unfolds over thousands of years, but most of it takes place on a narrow strip of land promised by God to Abraham and his descendants, the land of Israel. It was a pretty important piece of real estate in in those days, even as it is today. First, because ancient trade routes and highways between Africa and Asia passed through or nearby Israel, and also because it was a strategic military zone, an area through which invading armies needed to pass. And the Bible reflects the struggle between competing empires to control this area. Now, if you... If you keep one, that first finger in Genesis 1 and then find uh, the end of Deuteronomy, which is about page 192 in your Bible, 192, and you kind of hold those together, 
you'll have in your hands the foundational story of the Jewish people. These uh, books tell about God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs whose descendants would become the people of Israel, and how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt through Moses, a most unlikely leader. God made a covenant with these people and claiming them as his own and giving them the Ten Commandments and the law by which they were to live as well as a purpose to be a priestly nation, a light to the world. The details of the law and the story of Israel's journey um, through the wilderness to the promised land are contained in these books in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these five books make up the first portion and most important portion of the Jewish Bible, the Torah or law, sometimes called the Pentateuch. So now... uh, Put a finger in the next book, which is Joshua, and then another finger, find page 451 in the Old Testament. It takes a few minutes to get those pages to turn. I always wondered why they made the pages so thin, and I realized if they made them actually a usual weight would be a huge book. Okay, so we've got Joshua, all right, starting with Joshua. Um... These books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Esther, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, are the history books of Israel, beginning with their arrival in and occupation of the Promised Land. Once settled in the land, the people struggle to be faithful. When things are going well, they tend to forget God. They fall into worshiping idols and focus on gaining wealth and seeking pleasure, and they neglect the poor and oppress the weak in the process. And when that happens, God withholds protection, and Israel's enemies begin to attack. This causes Israel to cry out, and God delivers them, first through heroes called judges, and then through kings, including Saul, David, and Solomon. And this cycle repeats over and over again through the pages of these books. And it only gets worse after Solomon death when the kingdom of Israel splits in two. Ultimately, disaster happens. In 1722 BC, the Assyrian Empire conquers the northern half of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, and the people are forcibly relocated and largely assimilated. The southern kingdom, Judah, which includes the city of Jerusalem, survives until 587 BC when the Babylonian Empire destroys Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, and takes most of its citizens into exile in Babylon. This time, the Jewish people struggled to keep their identity and resist assimilation. Fifty years later, God again delivers his people, and they return to their land to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to erect a new temple. The event of the Babylonian exile, think... 9-11, and then some, would continue to have a profound impact on the Jewish people and on their faith. So all that is told in those books that you have your fingers on now. Now, go to the next book, which is Job, on page 453, and then find the end of the Song of Solomon on page 627. These books, along with Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, are the poetry 
and wisdom literature of the Old Testament, which the Hebrew Bibles calls the writings. Hamilton write, writes, these writings appear in the middle, in the heart of the Old Testament, and this is appropriate because they capture the heart and soul of the Jewish people, both the joyful moments in life and the difficult moments when faith is shattered. Just past the Song of Solomon, on page 630, you'll find the book of Isaiah. And if you put your finger there and then turn all the way to 890, to the end of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, you'll have in your hands the prophets, which come before the writing, after the writings in our book and after the poetry and wisdom, but before the writings in the Hebrew Bible. These prophets are organized into two groups, uh, the five major prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and 12 minor prophets, which are much shorter texts, some are only a few pages long. The earlier prophets date from the 700s BC and the later ones from the around 400 BC. The prophets were not fortune tellers. Instead, they were the social and ethical conscience of the nation and people who read the times of their lives and spoke what they believed to be the word of God. Most often, this word came as a warning that if Jews continued to walk away from God, God would withhold his protection and disaster would happen. But always, there was a word of hope, of comfort, and the promise that God would ultimately save his people. Some of the prophets told of a future king, an anointed one, Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, who would rule with righteousness and justice. The church teaches us that the Bible was written by people who were inspired by God, and indeed we call this the word of God. But the Bible is also a very human word. The Old Testament stories were in large part passed down orally from one person to another, from one generation to another, around campfires and in tents, and only later written down, collected together, and finally, sometime after the Babylonian exile, edited together into the story that we have today. Like any preacher, those who told and recorded these words were influenced by their culture, the times in which they lived, and their individual theological assumptions and biases. But their overriding purpose was to tell of the relationship that the people of Israel shared with the God who created and called, disciplined and saved, guided and blessed them. I was first introduced to the stories of the Old Testament in Sunday school, like many of you, but I didn't really come to know this part of the Bible until I decided to accept the invitation of my pastor to join other people in my church way back in the 1970s. And these people were gathering together to be trained to teach the Bethel Bible series. Anybody here ever heard of the Bethel Bible series? Oh, good. One person has. Yay. Um, it, this was a two-year class, and we went through all of the scriptures and it was the first time that I had been exposed to the Bible in any depth, and I loved it. But strangely enough, it was not the gospel stories or the letter of, letters of Paul that first drew me in. It was the Old Testament. So many people find the Old Testament to be difficult 
and the God of the Old Testament to be an angry, vengeful deity. But I find God's grace and mercy and love running throughout these texts right from the beginning. Not only does God bless creation and call it good in Genesis, but in Genesis 3, even as Adam and Eve are turned out of the Garden of Eden for sinning against God, God cares for them, making clothing to cover their nakedness. When the Israelites complain as they wander around the wilderness on the way to the promised land after their release from Egyptian slavery, God does not abandon them but provides them with water and food and guidance. Time and time again, the people break their covenant and turn away from God, and time and time again, God rescues them and renews their relationship. Yes, there are harsh words of rebuke and warning in the Old Testament, for God does not hesitate to hold his people accountable. And Lord knows we need to pay attention to those words today. We desperately need to listen to the words that call us to reach out to the poor and the oppressed, to refrain from violence and injustice, and to seek peace. You've already heard the words of Jesus' first great commandment this morning in this reading from Deuteronomy. The second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, also comes from the Old Testament. You can find it in Leviticus 19.18. But the Old Testament also contains countless words of comfort and hope. And I want to share four passages with you this morning. The first is from the Book of Lamentations, which is an extended lament on the destruction of Israel and the sin that has brought it to that place. And in the midst of it, we have these words. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And from Isaiah 43, words to the people who are in exile, words of comfort and grace. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. And the beautiful vision of hope that's recorded in both Isaiah, the second chapter, and in Micah 4. In days to come, the mountains of the Lord's house will be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, 
that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And finally, these familiar words from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness has on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. These are words of grace that we so need to hear today when war threatens and violence breaks out. That God loves us and will not abandon us and that we can trust in God's promises, that God's intention is for all of us to live in peace and in joy and prosperity, and that God is even now working to make the vision that was li- we just read from Micah into a reality, a reality that we see embodied in Jesus Christ. Why should we read the Old Testament? As the words of Deuteronomy make clear, the Jews thought that these writings were important enough to be read and pondered every day of their lives. And the Old Testament was also the Bible of Jesus, who drew on its words and whose ministry was profoundly shaped by them. But we shouldn't read the Old Testament just for these reasons. We should read it because this story is our story. It's God is our God who creates and calls, disciplines and saves, guides and blesses us. And the Old Testament and the Bible as a whole can teach, inspire, and encourage us. In other words, it is a gift. Open it up and read. Amen.